thumbs up on the and then so as you're live. Hey, 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 welcome, welcome. Um, so this is uh, questions you never thought you could ask in church. And uh, this is kind of a reboot or a relaunch or a resurrection of uh, <laughs> questions that you never thought you could ask in church. The, sh the, the short version or, or uh, let's say, description of this is ask the tough questions about God, faith, the Bible, and life. It's fun, it's deep, and it will rock your world. Wow. That's a uh, that's a big claim there, Steve. That's huge. That's yeah. huge. So real quick, uh, I'm Steve Wells. Yes, um, the the host. We'll, we'll call let's, let's go with it. Yeah. I'll be asking a lot of the questions, and then of course there is uh, questions that you can tune in or or ask as well. Uh, we feel feel free to. There's a number on the screen uh, for those of you that are just listening live on the radio. Uh, it's two one six thenet.com. You can tune in. Um, but otherwise, it's 815-314-0363. Again, that's 815-314-0363. Ask any question ever. Uh, and <laughs> ever. 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 It doesn't even matter. Um, but the person who's going to be answering these questions is my good friend, Pastor Dave Gadini. And uh, my other good friend that's here is Andrew Metcalf which he will not answer any questions nope. unless we ask him to. So. I don't know. I think Andrew has to get at least one question per round. I'm know? here just, just for the, the jokes and commentary. You know? I have a question. Are you single? Ooh. Ooh. We're starting off right away. Right away. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Dave, you want to give us just maybe, maybe a brief, well, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's go right into a question. Right into a question. Let's Let it right speak for itself. And uh, so I got to get something deep. These are questions that have, that have, uh, so for, for those of you that don't know, Dave and I, well, actually all three of us, uh, we're part of a church called Fellowship Faith. It's in McHenry, uh, Illinois. And uh, you can check us out on Facebook, uh, take a look at it. Um, but we've had this series just the, the last month and it was basically questions you never thought you could ask in church. We had so many questions that uh, we, we couldn't get to them all. And so we were like, well, you know what? If you used to do a, a podcast or, or well, podcast in, in the past, yeah, mm -hmm. let's resurrect mm -hmm. that, you know, because I think in today's culture, we have a lot of questions, a lot of uh, uh, things that are maybe some misinformation, um, some unclear things, um, stereotypes, um, questions uh, about end of world, um, you, you name it. You name it. I mean, you know, over the years doing this, I mean, it's always blown me away how, how many questions people have um, that's often based on. Uh, something they picked up from grandma or an assumption that they've made or something they've read in a book. And when it comes to religion, there's so many strange sources that you can get your information from and knowing what's credible and what's not or what tradition or what what background or what point of view it's coming from. And I mean, it's it's, it's the silly questions, the absurd questions, the complex questions, deep, simple. One of the best questions I ever heard someone ask is like, now that Exodus guy, who is he? Right. And, and if you don't know the joke, who's listening, Exodus isn't a guy. It's a book of the Bible. I mean, just someone didn't know. And he asked, but other people asking questions, like you said, about, you know, the problem of suffering or, or, or deep and personal things that they're facing or or existential questions about God, comparative religions, Christianity, the Bible, how it intersects with life. I mean, you got it. You ask it. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll go there. And uh, and man, you know, the, the, the questions that you know, church should be the very place where you can go to ask a question about God. And so many people I meet feel like it's the last place they can ask a question about God. Like somehow they're going to be judged or they're going to be ridiculed or they're going to single themselves out or, or they feel stupid about it or, or they feel like they're the only one who would ever think of this kind of thing. And, and that's never the case. I mean, man, if you're not asking questions and, and you're pursuing a relationship with God or, or anywhere in your faith, I mean, I, I kind of have to pause a little bit and go, why not? What's getting in the way? Because I, I worry and I fear that it's more coming out of a place of fear or a place of insecurity, or a place of inhibition. Maybe you don't want to know the answer, or you hope you know the answer, but you don't want to get it clarified. So. Yeah, how many times has that happened, right? Yeah. Where it's like you'd almost rather stay in a low-grade anxiety than get something confirmed that you think might be the worst, Yeah. right? Yeah. 
but this is a place he could ask it. And, you know, and I, I don't see these ahead of time. I'll get these nope. uh, anonymously live from you as you text them in or ones that have been submitted beforehand that Steve and Andrew are going to give to me in real time. And I'll but, just do the best job I can to be as transparent and, yeah, and the reality, straightforward. The reality of this is we have an hour, you know, so between conversations and explanations and, and whatever it is, of course, we're not going to be able to get to get to them all. So um, if we do not get to your live question today, well, then we got next week. We got it in the so mailbag. We'll have a bag box. Yeah. Yeah. You got so it. anyway, before we get going, I, I know that we're being broadcast pretty much well, all over the world. At, yeah, okay, so we got confirmation on that. So that's good. Uh, I, I have to selfishly give a shout out to my son, Paul, who is uh, over Absolutely. In, in Uganda. All right, Paul. He's working for the, uh, the Hope Center Uganda. It's a children's home over there. So uh, hello, son. Do well. We're counting on you. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we'll jump right in. Let's get to uh, questions. Are you ready? Yeah, let's okay. do it. All right. What do you got? First one. It feels like anxiety and mental health govern my life. I've been told by some that I just need to trust in God. How do I reconcile my inability to move past anxiety and worry with my faith in God? Yeah, I, you know, there's so many layers of things in this question here. And with some of these, it's so difficult without knowing the context. I would love to talk to you personally and start to root out a little bit more of what's generating this. But I've seen this happen in a lot of churches and from a lot of well-meaning and not so well-meaning Christians, where somehow they see something like anxiety or depression or any other kind of mental struggle that I think we all face and that some of us face in a more both cute and chronic kind of way is somehow indicating lack of faith, lack of trust. Um, absence of faith, absence of trust, that, that somehow you could almost will it away if you just believed more and nothing is further from the truth. How many times would we love to sit down with like, you know, the apostles, you know, with Jesus to kind of see what they struggled with, not just in a moment, but regularly. You, you look at Paul talk about the way that he despaired in his life. You read the biographies of the people for the past 2000 years in Christian tradition, people who, who like, if you were Roman Catholic, they would call a saint. And if you're a Protestant, you probably call a saint too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the deep existential struggles that they've had. So I guess what I want to start with is saying your mental health struggle should never be an inference that your faith is absent. You might have the strongest faith in God and simultaneously have the strongest mental health struggle. Now, I'll speak to this a little bit personally as an anxiety guy. And I mean, anxiety has been my best friend since, shoot, like two years old. Um, and, and I've had to wrestle through that a lot personally. Are there times where anxiety and faith come head to head and my faith has helped me through anxiety? You better believe it. Have there been times that I have been clinging to anxiety rather than trusting in God? Yes. But the very presence of anxiety or depression or whatever it might be shouldn't be seen as antithetical to faith. Is that, sure. I, am I kind of hitting the no, spirit of this from you what are. you're reading there? I think you are. Okay. And, and not only that, but I think sometimes with uh, people too, you know, there's there's people that are maybe diagnosed, right, with mm -hmm. maybe some sort of mental health issue uh, yeah. or, or bipolar, for one. Sure. Um, and I know that some Christians are like, you know what, I, I need to struggle through this by myself. I don't need to go get, you know, a doctor. Yeah. I don't need yeah. I don't need a prescription because that's not then dealing with it. That's masking it. So what right. are your thoughts on that? Go see a doctor. Go see a counselor. If you need a prescription, use the benefit of what we've discovered in this world to help you through. Yes, I know some people are afraid of addiction issues. I know some people are afraid of dependency issues. And I think some people do over-medicate and use medication as a crutch to dealing with their issue. But if you can use them in a holistic way, in tandem with each other, to get through hard times. No, I would not rule any of those things out, but but definitely don't suffer alone. Yeah. Start talking to people who have been down that road, someone that you trust, someone that you respect, someone who has experience in this. It could be a counselor, it could be a pastor. If he's coming from the right you know, perspective, it could just be a, a trusted Christian friend or, 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 or someone who has wisdom in their life that's been down this path. Right. Yeah, 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 don't suffer okay. in silent. No, reach out, reach out. All okay. right. Um, good. Andrew, anything else on that? No, I think that's good. good. Um, let's go to the next one. A little bit lighter, maybe. All right. Um, 
was I randomly put into my body? And <laughs> did I randomly get the personality and interest that I have? Yeah, were you randomly put into your body, right? Right. It's uh I don't know, what does that even mean? How do you even define that, right? Look, I, I would put it this way, you know, because this is a podcast where we're talking about the intersection of faith and and transcendent beliefs about God and especially Christian beliefs with life. I'm going to be coming at it always with the assumption that that's the underlying current of what the person is asking. I've seen a lot of people go, well, if God's created me, he must have created every aspect of me. He must have made me just the way I'm supposed to be. And I think that's going too far to one side. I think there's amazing freedom God gives in this world for the influence we can have on ourselves and from all the external factors, parents, genetics, siblings, friends, life experiences in shaping our personalities. So on one hand, I think of the Psalms where, you know, the Psalmist cries out, Psalm 139, uh, talking about how he's fearfully and wonderfully made and how, how God knows the very uh, hairs on his head. Head, which, which Steve, I mean, that's kind of Black. an easier one for you, right? right. Hairs on my head. Yes. Why do you think I'm, I have a hat on? Yeah. I'm, joining, yeah, I, I'm wearing the hat next week. I'll <laughs> you tell guys you. Are both in I've seen this. We're in denial. You yeah. just got to do it. Just got to own it. It's so much work, though, to it take is. care it of it all the time. As you can see, you know, so we were in a hurry to get here today. You know, we, we did a garage clean out at church. And, uh, and it, like Andrew said, let's not ever do that before the show <laughs> because. We're literally flying out of the garage. <laughs> We're driving to my house. I'm taking a shower. Dave hops in. He's like, hey, I, I live 20 miles away. Can I come over to your place, take a shower? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go through the show questions. No, we don't have time. So let's get to the studio and actually go through some of the questions, which we never did, which is okay. Yeah, and on the great. way here, I text you going, hey, what's the address to this place? <laughs> we didn't even know what the address was. We had no clue. But you know what? It, it's fun. But anyway, my point was, in when you're in a hurry, and you're shaving your head, you get nicks on your head. You cut yourself all yeah, the time. Yeah. We were at a softball game the other night. Lexi was telling me, hey, you know your head's bleeding. No, I had no, no clue. I would, again, in a hurry. It's the stigmata, man. It's coming up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so, so let me get back to this on yeah. this question here. At one hand, God's omniscient. And what that means is God knows everything, including the future. God knows who you are, who you're going to be. But the fact that God has foreknowledge shouldn't, lead someone to believe that everything is foreordained. There is still mm -hmm. immense freedom for your personality to be shaped by your parents, your life situations, you know, and everything that I just mentioned earlier. So no, you're not random. And yet at the same time, you're not fatalistically determined. Mm -hmm. So, so how does not coming from the questions that we have here, but so explain then where free will jumps into that, right? Because I think a lot of people say, well, why would God do or why would God allow or uh, and, I, and I think maybe this is partly one of the questions that that are that is in here. But I'm going to just jump to it right now, which yeah. is free will. OK, mm -hmm. so um, explain that, because I, I don't know that people. <laughs> yeah, explain free will. OK, next 30 minutes. <laughs> in right, relation to Christianity, <laughs> that's all we're getting to this episode. That's it. <laughs> Go to free. Just yeah, do it. What's free will? We know free will is something that exists from a biblical Christian worldview standpoint, but it's not spelled out in full, both in the scriptures themselves, the teachings of Jesus, or in Christian tradition in the writings there. And there's a, a variety of thought about how much freedom that we have and in what areas we might have more freedom or bondage to the will, which is a classic Martin Luther work who you talk that we're supposed to have free will, but we're almost enslaved. And so is our free will really free? So we know it's there to some degree, but to what extent remains somewhat of a mystery, which is, I think, why there's, A, so many different Christian traditions yeah. that have come to different places wrestling on that right. topic, and especially as you nuance it down more, and what area of life are we talking about free will as well? There's very few, if any, Christians who are going to go so far as to say your free will is so, shall we say, not free and predetermined that the fact that you came in here today, Steve, to the studio was predetermined. The fact that you asked this question was predetermined, right? Though I do remember a story I heard once about a certain Christian group that really trying to take it seriously, what was that? Pet 
Petra. No, not Petra. <laughs> not a band. Way back when. That, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, but they, they, they wouldn't go to the store to buy like milk. Oh. Unless they felt God was calling them to get milk because they were so concerned about being so obedient to God's foreordained plan or at least desire because they would even say they're still free to go, but maybe that's outside of his will. Because what if God wanted me to help someone on the way? What if there was someone God wanted me to, to, to witness to on the way? What if God was trying to save me off from an accident? And I think all of us kind of start playing these head games at certain times going, oh, if only I didn't get on that plane, if only she didn't. Right. You know, I, I don't think God is trying to get you to read the signs and the omens to go, what kind of phone plan am I supposed to choose? <laughs> you, you, you know? I think he gives a lot of freedom and a lot of options before us that are all God-pleasing and he wants us to live our lives. And within that, we're going to face random things. Everything is going to affect us. Everything affects us to some certain kind of degree, right? No getting around that, going knowing that. And those paths and courses ultimately shape us, but not in a fatalistic kind of way. Well, and I think along with that, you kind of come into the idea of God's will as well. Okay, we have free will to do what we want, but I think there's this idea of okay, but what's God's will? And so, and that's a whole another thing. <laughs> you almost have to even separate that out into God's will is I do believe that there are certain things He says this is going to happen, and nothing you can say or do is going to change it. Mm-hmm. But then there's another way people talk about God's will, which is God's desires. Mm-hmm. Like it's God's will for that. God, God wants that. Right. Yeah. I don't think that God wanted Adam and Eve to sin in the garden, even though he knew they were going to sin in the garden. God allows things to happen that he doesn't want. Right. Yeah. And so even when you talk about God's will, you have to parse it out. Yeah. Well, and I heard, I think it was a professor in college talk about God's will and like that we kind of create God's will in a way with the things that we do, because if you're deciding between this good thing and this other good thing, well, neither one of those is probably God's will, but in doing that and honoring him with it, you're kind of encompassing that. I don't know if that's, uh, no, no, I, I probably I didn't yeah. do it justice, yeah. but. But but I think this is where maybe analogies work best, where, you know, I mean, you know, you've got three daughters, you know, you take your kids, there's certainly certain things you want them to do and certain things you don't want them to do. Certain things that you want them to become, hopefully not like as specific as, I want you to marry this specific guy or take this specific job, but the character of who they're going to become. Well, God reveals that kind of stuff. I mean, this is what the whole Sinai experience is about with ancient Israel, where he's giving them a a code of what it means to be my people. This is so much of what the Sermon on the Mount is about with Jesus and his disciples, the writings of Paul, where he's encouraging them. But it's always character attribute based stuff. If you notice it very rarely, is it like very specific commands to very tangible things? Unless he's like, hey, you know, at the end of his letters, bring my coat when you come to visit me. Are we going to say that's God's will? No, just bring my coat, man. You, yeah. you know, um, so so I think that God treats us like his kids or like we treat our kids. Would you want your kid coming to you? 24 seven going, dad, what do I do next? Dad, what's your will? I mean, you go out of your mind, it's like, (laughs) grow up and live your life. And there are certain times in their lives when they do do that though, you know, and Andrew, sometimes, yeah, yeah, not yet. When they're, when they're little, you know, yeah, they're going to have the free will, you know, to go do whatever they do. And sometimes it pleases you and sometimes it doesn't. Right, right. But there, I remember certain times in in my kid's life where it's just like, you know, would ask me questions right now. Just go, just go experiment and find yeah. out for yourself. And it's okay. Yeah, totally. And even if you break something, it's okay. You're probably even if you to. ruin this, yeah. you know, I'm all right with that. Yeah. You know, we've kind of done a, a cost and safety assessment here. And, uh, and, and yet I think God courts danger more than we do with our kids. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are plenty of things where God, I think, lets us face harder consequences yeah. than maybe we would as parents. Why does he do that? You know, I, I don't know. And I've thought a lot about this and I don't think it's ever, I don't think you can proof text the answer on this one, but I think philosophically the best way to approach it, or at least a strong way to approach it is that the alternate would be worse. So if God was to limit more our freedom 
and the consequences that our poor choices bring or the poor choices of others bring, as horrific as those might be, if God is fundamentally good, I think the only recourse you really have is that if God was to, shall we say, orchestrate the universe differently, the end game of that would be worse than the problem of suffering we face now. And that is not in any way turning a blind eye or trying to soft pedal the, the degree of suffering we face. But it does for me put in stark contrast the possibility of how bad an alternative might be sure. mm. and that kind of alternate reality. Yeah. Okay. So you find yourself trusting God going, you've set it up this way for a reason. As someone I have to trust as being good and powerful, and yet you're allowing this and not because you're disinterested, not because you're uninvolved, not because you're callous, not because you're stern, but somehow you're good. And in your plan, this is the best path for goodness. I think as a father, I can understand that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can I, can I geek out on you? Go ahead. All right. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I know Steve that you go home and watch these every night, but you know, the Marvel cinematic universe, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah that's what this I might mean. be a one-sided conversation I for you. I know, it's right? Andrew, we're going to turn our mics here maybe a little bit more. Uh, I uh, no, I, I haven't seen many of no, them but either. You, you know, here's where I'm going. And, and the analogy I'm going to use is going to apply to, to virtually any kind of sci-fi or fantasy or, you know, whatever you watch. But right. this is where I think art and cinema and theater and in literature where it works because by getting outside of topics we can see things through hypothetical examples to kind of speak in but what is it is a infinity war you know remember thanos snaps and everyone disappears and they're fighting at the end okay do you remember kind of leading up to this of course you do this is, this is one i actually did see okay, okay I, i'm out of this now I, right. I did not know that there was this whole prelude up to it though so yeah you didn't watch the other like 18 well, I did, hundred and movies and now getting i feel there? a little bit like Got ripped off. You, it, you know, well, because I know what the But it was your choice to not watch the other one. You, you dishonored God, ones, Steve. You no. dishonored God and his preordained right. path. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you know, here's an analogy that strikes me because I, I, I live and swim in that thought world where Doctor Strange, in looking into the future, computes all possible scenarios of how this is going to play out with Thanos. And none of them are going to work out except for one out of 18 million. Or, you know, I don't remember the exact numbers. And those of you who really geek out on this, you can text him and call me on it, all right? And tighten up <laughs> my analogy here. But, but he foresees all ends, and he doesn't explain himself. He doesn't have time to talk about it. He just, boom, disappears, and it looks like he abandoned them. And one who could have been a help in this cause and maybe been that extra 1% to turn the edge, he disappears and catastrophe comes upon the world. But if he didn't do that, the end game, which is literally what the next movie is called, I think, you, you know, the end game would not have turned out any, favorably. Any better. And so how do we use something like an analogy of that to maybe understand and climb in a God spectrum a little bit going, he knows all possible paths, right? He knows every fork and every junction. He's choosing to operate on a certain course. And if he's good, that should lead us to trust him on that course rather than doubt him on it. Even though, let's face it, we do, don't we? I mean, it's it's human nature when you're in the midst of it to go, where are you? Or what are you doing? Or how could you? Or, you know, fill in the blank. So my mind went to uh, creation on that. It, why? Here, here's why. Yeah. <laughs> because in the grand scheme of this whole series, right, and then the end game, you had to have a creator. Right. You had to have a writer. You had to have someone who understood beginning to end what this what they wanted it to look like yeah so let's go into creation then. okay all right okay you got a question before, then, we, before we do that i'm gonna yeah, I'd read that. the read the number again 815-314-0363 so you can send a text in there definitely from the united states i'm not sure how it works internationally but then we'll get your live live question from you yeah. so. yep okay creation topics ready okay there's always the creation I, questions. I, I, I know and, it's and, just. And it's, got, I know there's one in here that people were very bummed that you didn't answer in in uh, in service. So okay, I'll get to that one. Oh, no, great, great, but fantastic. The first one was: uh, Were Adam and Eve the only people created without being birthed? And if so, how are there different races? So it's interesting the way that's asked without being birthed. What, what are we implying there? Because, you know, with the technological advances that we have today, there are people who are not born in, shall we say, the natural biological way, right? Correct. So 
is the question here, given that it's coming from a creation topic, is were they the first human beings that were kind of created by God to take the Genesis story like out of the mud and you know, like breathed into an ad and Eve's kind of ripped out of Adam's side, you know, that kind of thing? Or or is the question different? It, it's a little bit tough for me to answer yeah. without yeah. knowing. Right. But I'm going to, I'll get to the race one in a minute. Okay. But there is actually a diversity of thought with how to best interpret the creation stories of Genesis. And I'm speaking from someone who takes the Bible very seriously. And I'm talking of a diversity of thought and people who believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, that they're trying to say, this is true, but we want to make sure we're being accurate to the text. And here's kind of the fly in the ointment. The Genesis 1 and 2 creation story clearly show Adam and Eve being created by God. And shall we say the beginners or the heads or or or, or something of the human race, right? But it's very interesting that when you get a little bit deeper into the Genesis story, and I'm talking like Genesis 3 and 4, and you see that their first children are named. You have Cain and you have Abel and you have Seth. But, but even before we get to Seth, you have Cain and Abel named. Now, just because they're the only two named doesn't mean it's the only kids that they had. I mean, the first command in the Bible is be fruitful and multiply. So let's just kind of assume that Adam and Eve probably had more kids and, and more was going on here, um, especially in a pre-birth control era. But you have Cain who kills Abel. God calls Cain to the mat. He drives him out and Cain freaks out and he goes, what am I going to do? People are going to kill me. Who are these people that he's talking yeah, about? Right. And so he gives them this, this brand or this mark and it's called like, you know, comes down into like bad B-rated horror movies and sci-fi movies and <laughs> like Christian fiction, which is the worst of them all, yeah. you, you know, like the mark of Cain and, you know, and like what's the mark of Cain? But, but he's kind of marked in some kind of way. Well, I think Adam and Eve knew who he was. Like, like I don't think he needs a mark for Adam and Eve. And if, and if well, Abel's gone, I mean, right? So what purpose is this serving? And it talks about like cities then being born. Now, now who knows? How fast did the population kind of expansion happen from Adam and Eve? It could be that way. But there have been some that have suggested that Adam and Eve might have been federal heads is the way it's sometimes put, of a diverse human population, so to speak. And I'm not sure that you can extract the exact answer out of Genesis alone from that. I think you have to get into the theological trajectories of where these lines will think you. But, but I have seen a, a diversity of thought among Bible-believing Christians on that matter. But either way, let's get to the race question, because that seems what it's building up to, right? right. right? The way I like to answer it is there's one race and it's called the human race and that we all share the same pigment just in greater degrees. And even though we use the word race today from anything from, from legal forms to how you apply for financial aid to census population data to whatever it might be to refer to what we call as black, white, Latino, you know, Asian, you know, uh, Aleutian American Indian, you know, we've all seen the race forms. They give us like seven or eight different choices on it. Let's face it. That even is a little watered down. Yeah. You know, I, I think that is even kind of uh, doing an injustice to the amazing complexity and diversity of, of the unique cultures and, and places we have. But we, we all come from the same stock, you know, especially if you all come from Adam and Eve, you all come from the same stock. And through the way that I'm not going to sit here and claim to be a geneticist, you know, I know about that much, right. right? But the way that the gene pool accentuates in different populations, depending where you live, it's going to bring out different colors, sure. if you will, within it. I think it's at least one very viable explanation mm -hmm. to it. Okay, so then, um, when we're talking about creation, different races, now we're going to talk about different kinds. Okay. So, who created dinosaurs, and were they in the Bible? This is one <laughs> that, like, it was such, people were like, well, I asked that question. <laughs> well, I, Tina mentioned it. Them, probably 10 of them. It's like, everybody wants to know. So, what about dinosaurs? <laughs> what about, because it always comes back, it comes back to dinosaurs, it comes back to ghosts, and it comes back to, you know... <laughs> uh, or ghost real. Or ghost real. Yeah, yeah. Is my grandma haunting me? You know? <laughs> yes. Okay, the answer is yes. 
did God create dinosaurs? You know, what I'm going to do on this is I'm going to answer very quickly, and then I'm going to kind of back out and explain it. Yes, the Genesis story talks about God as being the creator of the animal kingdom. Now, does that mean that God created every breed of dog? Absolutely not. But God created, Genesis uses the word kinds, the major groups. He, you know, he created the birds. He created the land animals. It seems like he created a certain diversity within land animals. And I'm sure over time that through, you know, reproduction and mutation and gene pool, you know, and all that kind of stuff that, you know, we've learned about in science and that we can go on a, a greater variety and diversity of the animal kingdom created. So I don't know what dinosaur God created off the bat or, or what kind God created off the bat that we see these different bones come from. But the short answer is, yeah, you know, God created this world and he created it teeming with life because God is a God of life. Correct. So at some level, we're going to answer yes, wherever that happens to be on the tree, if I can put it that way. And the second question was like, where can you find them in the Bible? If they, at all. Were they in the Bible? Okay. Yeah. So it's actually it's actually a far more complicated question than you might think. And it actually opens up horizons that the person asking probably is unaware of. And I'm just gonna open the can and then you can do with the contents. <laughs> There's no retraction, on this, <laughs> There's so no retraction right? This is live, it's out there, right? So you are not gonna find the word dinosaur to my knowledge, in any English translation of the Bible. But will you find a reference to big beasties? Sure. Yes. In the Genesis story, there is, even in the Genesis 1 narrative, when he talks about, and you know, and I can open this right now and, and look at it if you want. Um, should I hold it right side up? Would that help? <laughs> you can see the condition of this. I think that Genesis is, seen, is like even falling out. Life. So, you know, I don't even know if this is going to hit, but I think it's like Genesis 1, 20, five, four, three, it's, it's, it's in the teens or the twenties where God creates the land animals. And there's this throwaway line that you come to. And, you know, my eye is skipping on my like two point font right now. Um, God's God creates them. He fills the water. He says, it's the fifth day. God said, let the land produce living creatures. Let them move along the ground. God made the wild animals each according to their crying. And God saw that it was good. And, you know, for time's sake, I'm looking and it's not jumping out. He said, uh, uh, let the, the waters be full and the seas be filled. But, but, but there's a throwaway line to this thing called the Tanin. All right. In Hebrew, Tanin. And, and it's, it's a classic reference to the sea creatures. But what you see that word used for in ancient Near East mythologies and in the rest of the biblical narrative is sea monsters. And... The question is, is this referring to a zoological creature, like, like an actual like water beast, like we think of like maybe a sea dragon, you would call it, or some kind of water dinosaur or, you know, whatever kind of language you want to give. Or is it a polemic against ancient Near East mythology, who is all based in like, well, Tiamat, which is this, this, this dragon out of like the Akkadian and Syrian and Babylonian myths that that creation comes out of. And, you know, the gods come and split Tiamat open and birth out of the waters of chaos of Tiamat. You know, and I'm opening the can here, right? Yeah. And is the Genesis author giving a, no, nah, God created all this kind of stuff. You think there's this great chaos Tiamat sea dragon out there. Is it zoological or is it mythological as a polemical purpose? Does that make sense? Yeah. You'll also see that happen in Job. You'll come to the end of Job where, where for like 30 chapters, Job is biting his tongue as his friends are trying to chide him on to, to question why God would allow evil and suffering to come in his life, particularly as one who claimed to be righteous and a God-fearer. And of course, Job's friends are, are missing the point, and this is the point of the story of the book of Job, is they keep going, you must have done something wrong because God is just. So there's some secret sin that you have, something that you're hiding, something that you're harboring, maybe something that you're unaware of. And Job keeps calling him to the mat. But at the final like chapter 38, Job finally snaps and he kind of, you know, lets it out. He lets God have it and God shows up on the scene. And God's answer to Job is this like three chapter tirade of where were you when I, where were you when I, who do you think you are? Where were you when I, it's and it's great reading. Read it. yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. You guys got to read Job. It's humbling. Yeah. 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 But you come to Job 
don't quote me on the exact chapter here. I, I think, think it's, it's chapter 40 and 41. 40 verse 15 is where that starts. Where right? you'll get a reference to something called behemoth and later to something else called Leviathan. And if you read the descriptions and then you read the little footnote that the editors put in, like, I think maybe NRSV, maybe, or, or certainly the NIV has it, where they go, possibly the hippopotamus, possibly the alligator. I'm sorry, I've never seen an alligator that breathes fire. <laughs> you, you know, you, you read the description of these things, and it does not fit in any way those zoological categories. So is that referencing dinosaurs? Is that referencing dragons yeah. is that zoological or mythological you see we're back to that question again yeah. so so those are some of the reference points but certainly we know that we've dug big big bones out of the ground and what those bones belong to well anthropologists and archaeologists and zoologists and 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 you know other people who study these kinds of things have reconstructed the things that we see in museums and some are probably pretty intact to what they found on the ground but a lot of times it's like well we found a we found a femur and we're kind of building a model around it because it kind of makes sense, but we kind of burn it in our brain because we've seen it in art and we've seen it in fiction and we've seen it in museums as being the de facto proof of that's what it looked like. Well, I think we want to understand it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm not, and not by any means trying to say that these are, you know, irresponsible or stupid people doing it. No, these are really smart people who know how to do this kind of stuff, but there is some flexibility in that as well. Um, and how will our, Understanding of dinosaurs even changed in the next hundred years as more bones are dug up, as biological and scientific advances to test those things um, ramp up. Right. But again, we're getting kind of off field here. And uh, those are some of the references you can check out. Genesis 1, Job, Isaiah references these sea dragons, you know, Rahab, Leviathan, Lotan. These are words you can look up if you're just doing a search and, yeah. you know. This one may have come from my daughter, but I doubt it. Well, it could have. How does the story of creation coexist then with evolution? So yeah. now that we're talking about that, let's lead into evolution a little bit. Because, yeah. you know, we, we've got 15 minutes. Just <laughs> summarize it. Solve it right here, yeah. guys. The next 15 minutes. There's not yeah. hours and hours and hours of debate online about this. The most online about 15 this. minutes of your life. Right? Well, well, and we got to save one of those minutes for kind of like, you know, what I call time or, you know, uh, station identification right. and all that kind of yeah. stuff, right? By the 21 way, six the net, by the way. Before we get to that, we do want to thank, like, this is our first time that, that the three of us have been together in this studio. It is, and, and this is great. Kent Jones is, is over here producing this. And so uh, shout out to, shout out to Kent the yep. for, for allowing us to be here. Uh, this this was kind of almost, this was a, just to give you a little backstory. Like, so Andrew and I are, are from Nebraska, right? Oh. Yes. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, it's oh. oh yeah. The N on the helmet stands for knowledge. But anyway, um, we moved here about almost well in August would be two years almost. Mm -hmm. So Kent, you know, is a member of our congregation, and I remember him coming up saying, "Hey, I've got this, you know, podcast or this station, and and it could be really beneficial to I think you know like you guys starting a podcast where we could broadcast your church service and." And I'm thinking, wow, I, I just got my feet on the ground here. I would love to do that eventually, but it's probably not going to happen yet. Now we're finally to that point. To yeah, and Kent waited and you opened studio he, space. And, and I thank it's, God he yeah. was just so patient with yeah. us, you know, for allowing that. So shout, shout out, out to you. Kent. Shout Great. out to Kent. Thank you. Anyway, evolution. What do you mean by evolution? Define it. Um, well, I won't define it, but I'll, 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 let's go from the standard of this being has now evolved into this being so that it can exist. I don't know. Is there, is there a difference? So you're talking about like interspecies evolution or I'm the idea of about anything. creationism? I'm, I'm, simply, I'm or... simply reading a question <laughs> that came in. How does the story of creation coexist with evolution? So don't pinpoint this on me so that then that way we get feedback from the show and say, well, Steve got it wrong. So, and then you guys use me as a scapegoat. You have to start by defining your terms. What do you mean by evolution and to what extent? And what do you mean by creation and to what extent? Now, I already mentioned this earlier with creation that, you know, there, there's no one I think out there that thinks that God has created every single species that we see on the earth today. I gave the example of dog breeds earlier. We know dog breeds that were invented, if I can put it that way, in the last hundred years, right? Mm. So we know... Uh, when I say we know, what I mean is that from a Christian perspective, there is a, a cardinal belief 
that at some level, God is the creator of this world and all that exists, and that it got started from God. But to what degree evolution has carried that forward, again, there's a diversity of thought on this and a lot of debate. There is a lot of room for coexistence in, 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 in very literal terms between creation and evolution. But the problem comes in when you start talking about the worldviews that people import into those terms. And sometimes those worldviews are based on conjecture, speculation, bad science, bad theology, um, or, or, or bad presuppositions that force you down certain tracks using good science or good theology, but launching from assumptions that are faulty to begin with. So, personally, I would say I think there is plenty of room and plenty of evidence for the ability for species to mutate, to reproduce, for, for in those uh, mutations and reproductions, for, you know, the classic survival of the fittest scenarios to play out, for, for certain strains to kind of die out or, or over-accentuate and to continue to build on and, and change and, and develop. I and mean, we've just seen this with the coronavirus, right? It's... it's a new mutation and viruses are mutating all the time. We got the Delta strain that's already mutated right now. So we know that there's a place for mutation, but the question is how far will that take you? Because it seems scientifically, and again, I am going to admit that I am speaking here, not from my field of expertise, and I invite the texts and the challenges, but it seems that scientifically, mutation will only take you so far before it destroys the species right? Yep. That mutation often leads to poorer ends rather than stronger ends. Now, yes, can you adapt to strength? Of course, I believe that. But my point to this question is, can you start from a virus and mutate all the way up to a human being? I don't think so. I think that's one of the problems of the current evolutionary theory that's, that's propagated today. But of course, current evolutionary theory can't allow for God to exist in the universe. It, seems it has to be an all or, all or nothing on both sides. It, it's it's a closed system. Yeah. We have to go from the observable data and project our theories based on what we observe now and not allow for transcendence to come in and have a part in the game. Well, that's problematic to me because if you start with a belief in God, you're already assuming that God can come into the mix and do things to either start the train or toy with the train, correct the train, guide the train as we go. But that's not a scientist's job, but we want to understand, right? right. Yep. So it's a very uh, good question. It's one that demands a lot more time than I gave it today. And I just invite whoever it is that if they really want to dig into this, I can point you to some very balanced and well thought out resources. Um, where people navigate this, maybe one that one or two that I'll throw out right now. Check out BioLogos. BioLogos. BioLogos.com. It's it's a consortium of Christian scientists. Spell that way. It's combining the word biology, which means life, of course, in Greek, and logos, which is, is it's a very important theological word, which means word, like John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, the word word is logos there. Um, and it has both philosophical and theological baggage to it. But it's Christian scientists trying to wrestle out these questions. And it's a wealth of resources and articles you can check out there. There's others I could recommend as well. I mean, the literature on this is vast and deep and it's ever changing because that's the nature of, well, honestly, both science and more than people think, even theology, yeah. as we continue to learn more and more and try to understand God more and more in relation to our world today. So if you are interested and you're listening right now, and Dave, Dave just said that he's got other resources that you can use or go to for information and whatnot, go ahead and text that in. Ask, those, ask, yeah. ask the question yeah. what they are, and we'll get back to you. So. Yeah. 815-314-0363. So you're keeping I, us most on people, tag, Most Andrew. people are just, yeah. just listening. So. Yeah. It's true. Write it, write it down, save it in your phone. So glad Andrew's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get lost in this. And I, I'm glad to be <laughs> here. We're just having our conversation. Yeah. Like, yeah, why aren't we getting yeah. any texts? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on. Um, let's see. 
let's go to, so what do people mean when they say God has been alive since before time? I mean, without knowing those people, I have no idea what they mean when they yeah. say it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's an odd way of putting the question, but Christian theology will say God has always existed. So that he's existed before what we think of as time, that he doesn't have a beginning. What they mean, or what I'm assuming is meant by this statement, is simply that God is eternal. And that alone is a, you know, that's a mind yeah, blow because... How does that exist, especially as we think so linearly on time? There's beginnings, there's ends, right? There's progression. God always is, always was, and always will be. That's basically the definition of eternal. And my bet is that's what that's getting at. Yeah, that's always been a hard one for me because the, the moment that I think about, <clears throat> okay, so my life comes to an end, right? Eternally, mm -hmm. I'm going to be with God. Mm -hmm. That blows my mind. Like, I can't... And, I, and mm -hmm. I, I'll try and go down that track, you know, like, okay, well, let's see how far I can go without yeah. getting myself crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually I just give up because I can't, like, I can't, I can't understand it. Right, you know? right. And, and, which is great, you know. It is, yeah, yeah. And, you know, my comfort is, is that, well, why would I have to understand or why should I understand um, everything that if he is the creator and if he is God, I don't expect to understand everything. Mm -hmm. There's, and if I did, then I'm not too impressed. <laughs> yeah, like, right. If right. If you're on the same level, yeah, you know, yeah, because I, mean, I, because I know my IQ and it ain't right. that great, you know. <laughs> so some things I just have to be okay with. Faith. Okay, so um, we've got about ten minutes to go. Um, let's do this. Um, maybe some morality stuff. Why do bad things happen to good people? And what makes a person good? Why do bad things happen to good people? And what makes a person good? Look, I know the spirit of this question. I'm not, I'm not really being trite with it. But the way I do like to answer is, why do you assume you're good? I, assume, I love Jesus' answer to this exact same question. They come up to him. You can read this in the Gospels and they go, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, why do you call me good? Now, Jesus says that. Right. Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. And was he looking for their definition of good? Yeah. Right. I think a lot of us are more, more prone to think we are a lot better people than we actually are. The basic belief of Christian anthro the basic Christian belief of human anthropology, right? Of anthropology, is that we are by nature sinful and unclean that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, that we are by nature corrupt, not made that way in God's original design, but born that way because of the destruction of sin that's come into the world, that none of us can stand before God and go, I am good. Well, but I do good things. You might do good things. But again, and you, I wouldn't do that thing. Right. So right. then you get into so this ranking system. Yep. And, so, and I think that's the heart of the question here, because I think, what it comes down to is I don't feel like I deserve what I'm getting, particularly as I measure myself against other people who seem worse than I am and whose lives seem to be working out far better. And that's true. That does happen. You will see that people who sometimes lead better moral lives don't enjoy as much blessing, specifically in a material way, you know, be that health, be that prosperity, be that um, ease of life in front of you is other people who are really trying to do the right thing. And, and Jesus even talks about that. He, you know, he promises us that we'll suffer in this world and specifically suffer because we're following him and his name. And that will actually create more suffering for us at times. I'll tell you how I've wrestled through this. And, and I got to say, this is how I've wrestled through it very personally. I finally came to the realization that I don't deserve anything from God. Why do I think I deserve anything good at all? Where, where is that assumption coming from? Why is God entitled to do anything for me or give me anything? The fact that he does do anything for me should leave me in wonder and awe that some being so far beyond my, my worthiness 
would bother to take the time with me. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, think about how we go around neighborhoods like spraying poison everywhere to kill like mosquitoes in mass, right? To us, they're a nuisance. And we are closer to a mosquito than we are to God. Yeah. You know, why don't we treat mosquito? Why would a mosquito expect that I would treat it in any kind of decent way, right? And yet God in his mercy, so when you start from a place of going any good and perfect thing is a gift of God, it hopefully leads to gratitude. Now, does that mean there is an injustice in the world? No, absolutely not. And does that mean that God doesn't want us to speak into injustice in the world? No, absolutely not. He does because he wants his world to conform to his will where people are blessed, where people are treated rightly, where people um, are finding alleviation from suffering. But he leaves it to us in many ways to govern this world according to his will that he would hope to speak into that. No, but it is. I mean, so the question again, why, why do bad things happen to, quote, good people? Well, bad things happen to people, right? As a result of the corruption that the human race has brought into this world. And that doesn't mean that what's happening to you is some kind of punishment from God because of something you've specifically done. No, sometimes we're just catching the, the flack, you know, and, and the collateral damage of other people's decisions, maybe even multi-generationally, maybe people that are long since dead and what they've done in this world and it's come. Sometimes it's random fluke. Sometimes it's just wrong place, wrong time. Those are tragic things that happen in this world. But God calls us to seek him in that. What was the second part of that one? Uh, and what makes a good person, a person good. God, yeah. God, by my own will and volition, I can never become good by God's standards. You got to start with your metric. Not good works. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause even our good works, they're good, but are our motives ever pure? Are they ever truly 100% pure or, or is everything that we do at some degree mixed? That doesn't mean that should stave us off in despair from seeking to do good and become better people. No, absolutely not. God is going to, to work in us and he wants to transform us and he wants to, the, the theological word is sanctify us. And it's predominantly the work of the Holy Spirit that he does invite us to participate in with him. And so we do have a role to play in that, but it's fundamentally God who will make us good. And that's why Jesus will be, will talk about being born again. You know, we don't give birth to ourselves and we don't give birth to ourselves a second time. God gives us new birth and a new transformed life. And we yearn for the eternity to come when God completely transforms us to be the people he's always meant us to be, to think that we're carbon copies. And that's dated, I know, but you know, I just haven't found a better analogy, right? That we are these weak vandalized copies, these faded copies of the glory of what humanity was supposed to be. But God is looking to restore us to full humanity or shadows, man, individually. you know, individually. Individually. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I like how you said that we'll never re reach God's standard of being good. And I think that comes back to, okay, how do they define good? Uh, you know, you'd find right. good as, Oh, right. well, I don't do too many bad things. Well, we're never going to reach God's standard of good. So, again, well, and it's even defining it by things. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny that like we always define it's by what sin you do, by yeah. what you do or don't do, not as a condition of who you are. Mm -hmm. And Jesus talks so much about how the real issue is what comes out of the heart. You know, Mark chapter seven, I think he gets into this big where it's out of the heart comes immorality and idolatry and greed and hatred and violence. These are things that are innate within us that come boiling out based on your personality, the situation you're in, the pressure that's placed on you, the, you know, the choices you make in a variety of ways, but we all carry the same bad DNA, you know, if I could put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, time. What do we got? Six minutes. The clock is off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need a new clock in here and we'll, we'll purchase it. Well, you know, let's do this, Steve. Yeah. You know, if you got another question, maybe a quickie that's burning there, we can hit it. And, and I'm happy to. Okay. But maybe this is just kind of a chance to, to go around and introduce ourselves a little bit. I mean, you know, you've been out here in Illinois from Nebraska for two years. Um, give us a story, man. Oh, my. 
but, uh, we only but have, we have three of us. Only six minutes. Yeah. And depending where you go, we'll go to Andrew next. Well, and yeah. Stories. So you know. So this is going to be a difficult one. But uh, no, you know, I like born and raised in in a little town. Well, I was born in Lincoln, which is the capital of Nebraska. But I grew up in uh, Eagle, Nebraska, which is about 10, 10 minutes east of the capital. My wife, I've uh, been married to her for 20 years now, 20, yeah, 20 years this year. All right. Yeah. And uh, we have three daughters, uh, 25, 24, and 14. I am a grandpa, which is, blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> kids like, what the heck? Yeah, uh, grandpa, but you know what? She's like the cutest little, little girl, another girl. So out of all the grandchildren that my parents have, uh, we have one boy, four kids. You know, so it's like um, he's surrounded by by women, um, family women. But anyway, yeah, we moved out here. I am the uh, worship director at Fellowship of Faith and uh, so in charge of music. And if you tune in on a Sunday, uh, you'll be able to, to see here, uh, be part of the word and uh, join us in, in worship. So um, that's that's the very, very short end of my story. So I'll let Andrew have the next two minutes. All right, Andrew Metcalf. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Andrew Metcalf. I also moved here from Nebraska, um, which I, I was working there after I went to college there, but grew up in St. Louis. Um, and yeah, I, I do. I'm the technical director at the church. So everything AV and production and all those types of things. So it's a it's a very involved, complex world, and it's, it's kind of a catch-all, which I enjoy because I like doing all of the different pieces of it. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been uh, here about two years and loving living out in this area. So awesome! And now we got a chance to get you behind the mic and in front of the camera. Yeah, and they yeah, forced right? me to be on camera. I enjoy being I enjoy being uh, in the background. You got a face for radio. So. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Like this is polar opposite of what you're used to, yeah. you know, you oh, absolutely behind the scenes and, and there's sometimes, you know, when, you know, we'll all be on vacation or, or, you know, have to go somewhere and I'll ask you. Yeah. And you pin shit to, and then you're, you're natural. And yeah. And I always and try and get out of it. So is there nobody else? Yeah. It's been, it's been, a, it's been, a, uh, it's been interesting being here and it, you know, it, it, for, for everything that Illinois has to offer, uh, which, you know, I mean, you name it. Um, it's great. It's a great place. It's just, there's some things that need to be corrected. Believe <laughs> <laughs> we'll it at that for another episode. Pretty much. Pretty all right. much. <laughs> all right. It's pretty much all through America, uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think most of Illinois would agree with you. Yeah, you know, I, I, think, I think so. I think so. All right. Well, and guys, you. this. Yeah. You. Okay. Me, me. So, uh, can't get out of this. Right. David Gadini, I'm pastor at Fellowship of Faith. I've been there this craziness 18 years this fall. That's and, more than uh, half of my life, you know. And, and it's something that was, uh, yeah, right. And as and as a church that uh, was a church startup, I didn't start the church, but I kind of came in very early into the church's history when they found themselves in a vacancy and just trying to find direction again and and uh, you know cast their identity. You know, for a lot of church planners, you know, you're there for a few years, and uh, even going in, you know, we didn't go in saying, "Oh, we'll be here a year or something," but we we, we thought it was going to be a shorter term gig, and you know, we just. 18 years later and uh, love it and uh, and fantastic place to be. It's been a great blessing. I'm the only Chicago native though. Yeah. Illinois native that's here. I grew up in Chicago and then right. did the suburban hopping. Um, we were in Denver for a while, St. Louis for a while, but uh, landed back this way. And uh, but you know what I love about you, the personality of fellowship of faith is that it's, it kind of was bred out of some, just some things that were not healthy within a church. Church right? trauma. Church trauma, which yeah. I think yeah. the majority of Christians have probably experienced. Some level of church trauma. And you know, and, and I already am seeing this in an episode coming down the pipeline, whether we do this next week or a few hours, or maybe we totally. just devote an episode to yep. church trauma and what to do in the midst of it and how to heal through it and what does it mean and doesn't mean. And yeah. yeah. So yeah, if, if you're out there and you've been burned, you, you've been hurt by a church, don't give up. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Ken, thanks for having us. Yeah. There's questions you never thought you could ask in church. I know we've got a mailbag filled with unanswered questions. We'll get to them next Wednesday. It's every Wednesday, 1230 p.m. We go live. You can catch us on podcast afterwards if you missed the live recording. 
Um, text your questions in to 815-314-0363. We'll let them sit there until we come up to the next week. I won't see them ahead of time. Steve and Andrew will have them. We'll do the best job we can to answer them as honestly, sincerely, and straightforwardly we can in real time on the spot. Thanks for tuning in. God bless, and uh, we'll catch you next week. See ya. Totally. The TikTok dance. Huh? TikTok, TikTok dance. dance. <laughs> you need some dancers. Yeah.